Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our WNBA looking at the landscape. So this is the first one that we're going to be doing this season. We're going to be doing one every week throughout the WNBA season, just to give you guys sort of an update on what's happening on the WNBA season, give you some updates on storylines, some players that we're going to talk about. There's a lot that we're going to get into, so I don't think we should waste any more time. Jalen, what's the first storyline player or team that you're going to talk about? Bro, so I think the first thing that I feel like we have to address is the elephant in the room that is the Connecticut Sun, bro. I think we both started this whole season out extremely disrespectful, extremely disrespectful. Uh, 3-0 and uh, to kick the season off. We had them eighth. We both had them eighth in our power rankings before the season started um, in last week's episode. And I am already dramatically dramatically regretting that already because they're they're one of only two teams left in the entire or one of only uh three teams left in the entire WNBA that are undefeated um along with the liberty in the sky the wings haven't played enough games yet so i'm not i'm not really counting them just yet but um through three games three and oh um and bro the player for this team that has been extremely interesting is Natisha Heideman. She's been coming off the bench and last game her most her most recent game she posted a career high of 19 points. The game prior to that she had hit a career high of 17 points. So she basically beat out her career high not even a game later and is is already kind of making a early season case for six women of the year. She's playing out of her mind three games in. And it's not like this is a circumstance where they're playing against just slouches. Don't get me wrong. The Dream and the Fever are not teams that we're going to be worried about in the championship picture, but they got a big win against Phoenix and giving them their, giving the, uh, the Mercury their only loss so far. And they won by nearly double digits. So, I mean, honestly, the Connecticut Sun – like I said, Ryan, I think we got a little too disrespectful with them, putting them down at eight. They are proving us wrong early. I think proving us wrong is an understatement. It's actually kind of an interesting thing to point out because last season, this team lost their first four games of the season. Now they're starting 3-0, and and it's even more interesting to think about considering that they don't have Alyssa Thomas, who was one of their leading scorers last season. So I think that the Connecticut Sun are definitely going to be a wild card, essentially, in the WNBA, especially now with a healthy Jonquil Jones, who I think could be making an early case for MVP. I think there's a lot of players that are making an early case for MVP, but Jonquil Jones is definitely stating her case early on in the season. My first topic that I want to talk about in the WNBA, I think, Jalen, you know this, it's in New York Liberty. The New York Liberty are showing some signs of being contenders. They're 3-0 right now and have victories over Indiana and Minnesota. And I think this team's off to a strong start. But Naja Laney has been the leading scorer on this team, picking up where she left off from her great season last year. She put up back-to-back 20-point games against Indiana and Minnesota after her 30-point performance in the first game of the season. Sabrina Ionescu... She had a double-double in her first game, 25 points, 11 rebounds. She capped it off with a game-winning three. I mean, you want to talk about an exclamation point in your return. Why not bank a three with 0.4 seconds to go to seal the game? 
But in her last game against Minnesota, she records the ninth ever triple double in WNBA history. Keep in mind, she was recording W or she was recording triple doubles in college, and she has the record for the most triple doubles in college. And she's basically carrying that over to the WNBA. She could differentiate herself and become a generational talent with these with these triple doubles because I think that this is not only going to be the first triple double, this is going to be the first of many triple doubles that she that she'll have. Another thing that's interesting too is Michaela Anyenwuri from UCLA, the rookie that just got drafted by New York. She's been pretty consistent this year, and she has been making an impact for this team as another potential scoring option. And I think throughout the course of the season, we'll also see players like Rebecca Allen, Jasmine Jones, and Sammy Wickham have games where we see flashes of potential from them as more scoring options for the Liberty. I think the interesting thing now will be, what does this team look like when Natasha Howard makes her debut? Right now, they have Kylie Shook, who's filling the role at center in place of her. But the fact that this team is 3-0 right now without her shows the potential of how good this team can be. Yeah, bro. I think to kind of piggyback off of a lot of your points, like you said beforehand, Benajah Laney has had 20 plus po- points in all three games played so far and might even be able to continue that later on today when we're uh, recording this on the 21st. And they play the Mystics tonight, another team that has not been very good defensively. So she has another chance to put up another 20 point game with Sabrina. Ryan, to piggyback off your point about the triple double, not only is that the ninth triple-double in WNBA history. She's the youngest player to do it in the WNBA. So that's another thing that kind of adds upon that. I mean, yeah, I mean, Ryan, you couldn't have cleared it up any further about her debut, hitting that uh, hitting that big buzzer beater with 0.4 seconds left to uh, close out the game against the Fever to kick the season off. Laney and Ionescu already are showing a certain kind of chemistry that is making New York's offseason from a from a free agency standpoint already looked like one of the biggest splashes in probably the last year or two if not a little bit longer and Natasha Howard being a being a player that's still gonna that still hasn't even been added to the mix only further shows the kind of potential that this team has I think because of the fact that she improved them so much defensively this is a team that has already been playing relatively well on the defensive end you put Natasha Howard down low Shook is still going to get significant minutes, I feel like, as a backup center or might even play a, a, a big role as a four, depending on the circumstances. So defensively, they're there. I think what you said about Onyerware um, is um, interesting as well because she's getting a lot more burn than I actually anticipated. Um, not necessarily because I didn't think she was ready, but be, for, because from a ball handling standpoint, I just thought that Ionescu and Laney was going to be so much that it on Yenward was going to be maybe a player that came off the bench for them as a lead, as a lead forward that could be a primary ball handler for them. Instead, she's just giving them a third body that can handle the rock. And she's she's made very good do with it. So I think New York is in a really significant uh in a really good spot right now. Um, I think one of the other things that's so significant about it so far is Ryan, they have more wins already now than they had all of last year I mean that's enough that's enough to feel good about your season already considering all the circumstances that pushed New York into the into that that dormant situation of last season as it was so to get off to this start with a chance to go 4-0 against the Mystics tonight I think that's huge now I think there's something that we do need to take into account they have a they have two matchups within the next week 
that I think are going to be very telling about where they are, um, where they are within the hierarchy of the WNBA. Actually, three. They have a matchup on Sunday this week against the Chicago Sky. I believe that Candace Parker will be playing in this game. So I think that's going to be very interesting to keep an eye on. They also have the Aces and the Sun basically back-to-back, the June 3rd and June 5th. They have the Mercury and then the Aces again twice after that before maybe getting a little bit of a slowed-down schedule with the Sparks as a little bit of a break in between. So – June is going to be a very telling month for the New York Liberty because that is where a big bulk of the championship caliber teams are going to be facing off against them. I think that Sabrina Ionescu and Laney can really hold their own. Like I said before, it's going to be extremely telling because there's a gang, a gang of talent on these teams like the Aces, Chicago, Phoenix, that they're going to be seeing in the very early portions of June. I think the one reason that you were mentioning why Anyanwari was getting so much playing time is because Jocelyn Willoughby is out for the season. She's definitely getting that that experience needed to, for her to be another viable scoring option. And I think when we when we factor in the fact that Kylie Shook is still going to be around and getting a lot of significant minutes, even when Natasha Howard comes back, I think it makes this team even more dangerous considering that your front court is filled with one of the top defensive centers in the league in Natasha Howard. And then another, another good power forward center in Kylie Shook, who has been giving you some pretty solid production at the center position. Also one of the top rebounders on this team as well. So that's definitely a win right now for the New York Liberty. Jalen, I just want to toss it over to you to talk about the Washington Mystics right now and why they're 0-2. Yeah, man. So I think it's very simplistic. I mean, one of the biggest things for them is that they're shorthanded as I don't know what. I mean, obviously, the anticipated weight, uh, the, the long anticipated weight on Elena Deladon, who hasn't played in God almost two years now, um, is is one of those things that they are going to have to be extremely patient on. But I think if they get too too rough of a start, I think her coming back is not going to be as effective or as impactful as they would hope. The other thing is Emma Miesemann is going to be overseas playing, um, playing overseas until I believe she's not her season over there. Doesn't end until August. So that's about midway through the season for over here in the WNBA. So that's one of those things where yes, they might be able to get a second half surge. And we've definitely seen this kind of thing from them beforehand. We saw inklings of it last year when they kind of barely squeaked through, but I think, that I don't with the with the with the improvement of teams like the sky, the fact that the Mercury is still in the mix, the fact that New York is so good now, I don't think that Washington can afford that. Now, I will say this: Tina Charles has been holding it down, holding it down over the last two games um, against the sky and the Mercury, two teams that are chat championship bound, right? Two teams that are definitely championship caliber, tough way to start the season. And of course they got the Liberty next before maybe getting a little bit of a sabbatical with two chances at a dub against the fever. But when you start the season at a talent deficit, like they do, like they are, and then you play two of the best teams at the WNBA off rip, that's a tough way to get punched in the mouth. Now, I will say this. One thing that I have noticed throughout this time frame watching these two games is that the Mystics are trying to be this three-point shooting team. Like, in the last two games, they've been shooting at least 20-plus threes in both games, 
And I'm sorry, but that's just not them. I mean, not even just based on the personnel that they have right now, but that's just not been their philosophy overall. I understand that Tina Charles is their only true, true down low, like under the basket big, but Ariel Atkins still, still a very strong slasher. Um, Natasha Cloud, I think, I think even though she is not a a back to the basket player at at uh, at the guard position, obviously she is a very good driver and finisher around the basket. I think this team needs to take advantage of their ability to score inside the paint. Tina Charles clearly is twenty two and twelve against the Mercury. She was pretty much the only player outside of Natasha Cloud that was really even giving them any offense in that game. They got blown out by twenty one. So hey. It seemed like it was just a rough night for everybody shooting wise, but this team is trying to be an outside in team and they need to go back to being an inside out team. I understand that they don't have the same kind of personnel with team with, with players like Elena Deladon and Misa meant to be able to run pick and roll actions off of be able to do all these type of things. And of course, Elena Deladon controls so much of the, uh, or garners so much of the attention in the low post as a player who has so many, moves in her arsenal down there and it's such a prolific passer as well but I mean look man you gotta you gotta stick to your bread and butter you can't be at this kind of talent deficit and be trying new things you need to kind of stick to you know quote-unquote what got you to the dance even if if even if you are a couple players short so I don't know, Ryan. I think my question for you is, bro, like with the fact that we know Mason is not going to be there for a while with the fact that we know that Elena Della Dawn's clock is I mean basically you know unconditional like we don't really have a significant time frame is it too early to give up on the mystics or is there still some kind of like some kind of hope worth keeping out if you're a mystics fan because you know for us you know i'd love to keep our hope but i mean lord i I can't put too much stock in an zero and two start but it ain't getting no easier yeah, it's, it's not getting any easier. And I think it's interesting, something that you pointed out earlier, they're changing up their game plan to f- kind of fit with the trend of take more threes instead of go for the easy buckets. They mainly did that, I feel like, because of the addition of Alicia Clark, thinking she was going to be healthy this mm-hmm. year, considering she is one of the best three-point shooters in the WNBA. I think that's mainly one of the reasons why they're they're taking more of this three-point shooting approach because they mainly thought she was going to be healthy. I think the loss of Emma Miesemann until August is going to hurt for sure. Because if we think about right now, it's May 21st. In three months, the Mystics could only win 10 games and may not even be in the playoff picture. So her loss and her, her not being on the roster hurts this team a lot more than we think. I do think Tina Charles has been a huge impact so far, especially considering that she put up 14 points against the sky in her first game back. So I think that's definitely a plus. I think Elena Deladon, it's just going to be interesting to see how she progresses throughout the season. Is she going to get back to her MVP form this season? And I think that's that's the main issue I have with them. And I think that's that's really one of the reasons why they struggled so far is that you have a lot of players that are coming back from injury, like Tina Charles and Elena Deladon, two of their best players coming back from injury. You don't have Emma Miesemann either. And then Alicia Clark, another injured player who we will see in a Mystics uniform at some point. But right now, I think they're struggling because they can't keep up with these teams like Chicago. They can't keep up with these teams 
like Connecticut. And I feel like that's, that's something that's a, that's a bit worrisome. It's definitely going to be a talking point for the future to see if the mystics actually make a playoff run. But I think if you're a mystics fan, don't hit the panic button yet because this team does have talent, but I think it's just going to take time for them to really gel and get back to form. Yeah, I think I, I think I have to agree with you in terms of not jumping the gun too much. Like I said earlier, it's kind of hard to put stock in two games this early, especially when the Mystics are so shorthanded and they played arguably two of the best teams in the WNBA already. Um, that's kind of a tough sell for anybody to be able to just kind of, you know, brush off in any kind of way. I mean, the Sky haven't lost a game yet. And the Mercury have only lost one game. And the game that they did lose was a game in which they lost to, I mean, arguably the best team in the WNBA so far in the Connecticut Suns. So I think there's a significant argument that can be made that if this team can kind of start putting things together, um, Tina Charles continues to kind of play like an MVP caliber player, which, you know, she has been in the past. And I definitely think she still has the capabilities of doing moving forward. I think if they can get past this Liberty game, even if they lose, but make it look good, that'll at least be something that'll make them feel a little bit better and maybe build a little bit more bit of momentum. And then they have two back-to-back games against Indiana that could maybe help with maybe stringing together some wins, build some momentum, and then kind of just have to take it from there. But again, I mean, it, I, I agree with you. It might be a little too early, but Lord, I mean, they, they've got a lot to figure out early on. There's a lot of question marks with them. And I think it's interesting considering the fact that they only scored 56 points against the Chicago Sky, which is a team that I'm going to talk about now. Despite only playing one game so far, Candace Parker's making an impact. The first game of the season against the Mystics, she put up 16 points, eight rebounds, four assists, three blocks, and a steal on five of 10 shooting from the field and three or four shooting from three. Jalen, we mentioned this, one of the weaknesses for Chicago last season was their defense. And in free agency, they got Candace Parker, the reigning defensive player of the year, and one of the best players in the WNBA, also a former MVP. When they played the Mystics, Chicago held them to 56 points, like I mentioned earlier. And it's impressive considering that in the next game, in which Candace Parker did not play in, the Atlanta Dream scored 77 points against the Chicago Sky which is more than what the Chicago Sky scored against the Mystics. They scored 70 points against the Mystics. So I know it's only one game, but I think it's interesting to point out that the difference in defense is huge with and without Candace Parker. So the Sky are 2-0 right now. I think their defense with and without Parker is going to be a talking point throughout the season. But the fact that they're 2-0 right now is huge considering that they have Candace Parker and they also... They also have five double-digit scores in their last game, too. So there's a lot of improving right now on Chicago's end, but I think this is only the start for them. I mean, yeah, I have to agree with you in terms of their depth uh, being one of the main things that's very interesting. Um, uh, their their front court of Hebert and uh, Nadauer, they didn't even they didn't start in the first game. Um, Candace Parker sat out in that second game, coach's decision, however you want to word it. She was, uh, she didn't play in that game and those two got the start. And I mean, they combined for 30, they combined for 32 on the night, along with 21 rebounds. They were absolutely monstrous on the boards and they really took it, um, 
took advantage of their circumstances. Kalia Copper has been a bucket so far. 23 points in that game against um against the Dream. I think that one of the biggest things though, man, I get look, I understand who Candace Parker is. I'm very glad to see that Copper is playing at such a high level. Even Diamond the Shields is another player who has shown some significant intrigue, or at least I've shown some significant intrigue in her play. But look, bro, the engine that makes this team go is Courtney Vandersloot, bro. Led the season and uh, led led the uh, the entire league in assists per game last season. This season. She's ticked back only two games of sample size, so nothing crazy, but she had 12 points, eight assists, and six rebounds in that game against Atlanta, bro. Her having eight assists plus, that is the version of Courtney Vandersloot that the Chicago Sky need on a nightly basis if this is going to be a championship caliber team. Candace Parker is Candace Parker. I think Kalia Copper is a bucket, and I think she's going to be somebody who could arguably be, you know, a top 10 score in the league by the end of the year in terms of points per game in the hunt i think diamond shields is a player that's only going to get better by the dribble personally but at the end of the day bro courtney vanishloo is a player that literally sets everything up she is this team's super this team's diana tarasi in terms of setting the table this is a Chicago Sky team that has the talent. I wouldn't say to the same caliber, maybe as a Phoenix Mercury or as a Seattle Storm in terms of the the, the type of supporting cast around the point card. But at the end of the day, Courtney Vanishloo has some significant weapons around her, and she's one of the best point guards in terms of facilitating. All she has to do is get them the rock. They have to run the floor, you know, get to their spots, and she's going to get the ball to them without question. So I think that the interesting thing about this. This season for them is just seeing can Courtney Vanishloo continue to be this elite level facilitator that she's been over the last couple of seasons because I think she is the engine that makes this team go regardless of Candace Parker's pickup. I think that Candace Parker is what puts them over the top in the championship picture. But I think Courtney Vanishloo is one of those players that's not only going to get them through the regular season, but be one of the defining factors in terms of how big of a run they can actually make. I think Candace Parker is the one who can make them, who can take them to the top in terms of the championship game itself. But I think Courtney Vandersloot is the biggest catalyst as to whether or not they can even get that far. And I think it's interesting you bring up Courtney Vandersloot because, like you said, one of the best facilitators in the league right now. And I think the other thing that's interesting too, and we haven't mentioned it, Azura Stevens has been out too. So we haven't seen much of Azura Stevens as well, considering that. She was limited to 13 games in the bubble due to a foot injury. So I think that it's also very interesting considering that there's not a lot of center depth right now for the Chicago Sky. I think when they get Stevens back, I think that's just another element to add to their defensive acumen. Also, they re-signed Natasha Mack. They put her on waivers and then they've re-signed her. So Natasha Mack was able to play against the Atlanta Dream. So I think there's some potential for Mack to play and definitely get some actually get some solid minutes as well for the Chicago Sky. So I think that's going to be interesting to watch too. Also, look out for some additional scoring from Allie Quigley, who's been a reliable three-point shooter throughout her time in Chicago. So once again, I think there's a lot of factors to consider here for Chicago as a top-tier championship caliber team. But Jalen, the third topic you want you wanted to talk about was with the Minnesota Lynx. And it's especially interesting considering that. A team in Minnesota that I had at six in my power rankings and you had at three, 
it's very interesting considering that right now they're 0 three and it's it's early in the season but what do you believe has been their biggest struggle so far this year i mean brian i think the biggest thing from what i've seen on a consistent basis is their their inability to close games i think that's been one of the toughest things for them against the mercury you lose in a buzzer beater fashion with the liberty the liberty pretty much controlled that game for the most part and they ended the game winning by 11 86 to 75 and then in the game against the storm they sold like that's i mean that's the only way to phrase it ryan in the game the other night they led basically through three and a half quarters um, they were up by 10 at the end of the first, 15 at the end of the half, and they were up by 10 by the end of the third quarter. I think if my memory serves correctly, I think it was around the 633 mark that Sue Bird hit a big time three from like 27 feet deep. So, I mean, she it was it was pretty stretched out. And that was the catalyst to a 20 plus point run where. The Minnesota Lynx could not score at all. They only scored seven points down the stretch over the last seven minutes of the game, and they were in a and they were in a they were pretty much boxed up the entire time. Um, former Rookie of the Year Crystal Dangerfield missed all three of her shots and picked up two big fouls down the stretch. Was MIA pretty much could not get a single bucket. Most of their points in that seven minute stretch came from the free throw line, which is a net positive to a certain extent, but it meant that they weren't even getting quality shots to the point that they were almost getting cop-outs in terms of being able to get the the, the kind of points that they got. Now, don't get me wrong. It's kind of hard to you really place Minnesota in any real pocket when you've played the Mercury, who we discussed as a top-level team, the Liberty, who are 3-0 and as a team that is on the rise with Laney and Ionescu at the helm and only going to get better with Natasha Howard's introduction soon into the, um, into, onto the roster. And then you get the storm and unfortunately take out the storm again. <laughs> so it's one of those circumstances. Look, look, Ryan, they don't play again until Friday of next week. They play the storm again, but they don't play again till Friday. They really need to soul search and figure out who they want to be as a basketball team. Because let's just get it real. Kayla McBride, legit scoring guard at, at, the, at the one-two spot. Ariel Powers, the pickup that they got in the offseason, I think she's a legit bucket. I just think that so far she has not really been able to get off yet. Crystal Dangerfield, I would argue that the game against Seattle was probably her best game of the season, despite the fact that it was an extremely bad losing effort. Sylvia Fowles has been their most consistent player in the three games they've played so far. I mean, the way I see it with Minnesota, and one of the things that I do think is worth noting, Ryan, from a defensive standpoint is Renaya Davis is still out with, I believe it's a foot injury. I think that that's something worth taking into consideration because remember the scouting report on her when the draft took place was she was not an elite three-point shooter, but she was elite as a perimeter defender that they were going to try to develop up as a three and D guard, three and D wing type player. That's kind of the kind of player that they need to be able to hang with half these teams nowadays. And I think that's one of those things that they desperately need back in their lineup. So hopefully this week off will give her a chance to further kind of recuperate. And hopefully within the early stages of June, we'll see her on the floor with this Minnesota Lynx team and see if her impact 
is felt early and often because I just genuinely feel like they need some kind of jumpstart. And I think Renaya Davis is that. The question just is how long is this timetable in terms of this injury? But yeah, bro, Minnesota is tricky. But, but where do you stand on Minnesota? I have a question for you afterwards, but where do you stand on Minnesota? I'm surprised. I'll say that. It's interesting also because when we when we did our power rankings, you were slightly surprised at me for having Minnesota as low as I did on my power rankings, especially with the amount of talent that they have, especially that this team could be the WNBA's version of the current Utah Jazz team where they have a lot of depth and they also have a lot of a lot of scoring as well. And when you factor in this team is 0-3 right now, given who they've lost to so far, it's a bit worrying early on. It's, it's very much like the Mystics. It's very worrying early on. However, don't hit the panic button because – Remember, like like you said earlier, they need to get Renaya Davis back. I need to see how Renaya Davis looks with this team in order for me to make a true case for if Minnesota is a playoff contending team or not. I think 0-3 starts, they're just figments right now. I think they're just – we should not look at that, that 0-3 start as the overall picture because remember last year, I'll use the Connecticut example again. Connecticut was 0-4 and made the playoffs as a seven seed. So we shouldn't overlook teams that are that are winless right now because they could honestly flip the script and make the playoffs. Now it does it does come down to how they win these games if they can defeat teams like Seattle, like Phoenix, like Chicago, like Las Vegas. But right now, this is not a good look considering 0-3 means. You're at the bottom of the standings with a team like I'm going to talk about later, Indiana, who is regressing instead of progressing. Yeah, man. And I, that's what I was actually going to ask you. Uh, like, what what do you feel like it what do you personally feel like is the biggest thing that the Lynx need to address in order to be able to turn this around? Do you think that Renaya Davis is the swing player for this team do you think that it's something else in terms of their just overall play style do you think there's something philosophy wise with the links I just think that I I have a hard time kind of looking at this without rose-colored glasses because Ryan as you mentioned earlier I had them third in, the, in our preseason power rankings because of the kind of depth that they have you had them six and you already had your kind of trepidations with them as a team now seeing them on the floor through three games, what do you feel like is the main thing that they need to address in order to turn this around? Because, it, I mean, yes, it's easy to point at the schedule when you've got the caliber of teams they've played so far in the early going. But again, with 12 teams in this entire league, there's not going to be too many gimmies. So it's one of those things where you can't really blame strength of schedule too much. What, what do you think is the thing that they need to address the most in order to kind of flip this thing? It's very tough, honestly, because you're 0-3 and you have a lot of talent. I don't think it's a specific player. I think it's a specific thing. I think they need to improve on defense. The one thing they've been unable to do, and you've said this a couple times on the podcast so far, Minnesota has struggled to close games this season. So where do you start with that? You start on defense. You try to change up defensively because – if you are unable to close games throughout the season, that could be a reason why you either slip into the playoffs as a seven or an eight seed or miss the playoffs entirely. 
I feel like that was one of the main issues with the Dallas Wings last year was their inability to close games where they were a playoff seed early on the season, but slipped out of the playoffs because they couldn't close games. That's the thing right now with Minnesota that is holding them back, especially with a team that has this much talent with Crystal Dangerfield, who had a phenomenal rookie season. Sylvia Fowles coming back from injury. You have Nafisa Collier, one of the top power forwards in the league. There's almost too much talent here to kind of look past it and say, this team is not 0-3. This team should not be 0-3. With the amount of talent that this team has, this team should at least right now have a victory, be at least one and two. And I think that their first victory should have come against the Seattle Storm, who they had a 15-point lead going into halftime. They were up 15 points, 48 to 33. And then in the third quarter, they still were up, like you mentioned. And then in the fourth quarter, that's where they lost the lead. So I think it's really just comes down to defense and closing out games. But I think they may have to change up a couple of things on the defensive side, maybe insert a few players into a new lineup, try to mix things up. I don't really know what they can do to change that, but I think that's the biggest thing that they need to change. Yeah. So kind of moving on a little bit, I mean, we've got a handful of other teams that do not have a win. We've already talked about the mystics. We've already talked about um, the links to uh, maybe at nauseum a little bit. We still got the dream fever and sparks here. Which one of these teams did you want to take? I'm going to talk about the Indiana Fever, who, like I mentioned earlier, they are regressing instead of progressing. When we talked about the WNBA power rankings last week, our preseason power rankings, I put Indiana as the last team in my power rankings. The team is 0-3 right now after two single-digit losses to New York and a blowout loss to Connecticut. They looked competitive in the first two games, and at times they looked like they were going to win both games, especially the first game given how close it was. However, this team is is struggling to compete with the offensive firepower of teams like New York and Connecticut, the two teams that they played so far. In their first two games against the Liberty, Indiana committed 45 fouls and turned the ball over 33 times. This is from an ESPN article that I saw on their most recent power rankings. And when talking about the lack of offensive offensive firepower, They've been struggling to shoot the ball efficiently from both the field and from three in all three of their games. This was evident in the game against the Connecticut Sun outside of Danielle Robinson, who made two threes. The rest of the team made two threes. They were two of 12 from three. And I think the main focus for Indiana right now should be giving Kaiser Gondrasic more minutes. She didn't have as as many minutes in the first game. I think she only played five minutes in the first game, but her minutes have been increasing ever since the first game. And the other thing that I thought was interesting is that they waived Chelsea Perry, who was their other rookie. I thought that she could have also provided more of an offensive spark coming off the bench, but she's no longer with the team. So I just think that it's, it's very interesting to see what's going to happen with the Indiana fever. I have to say this again. I feel like I've said this already, but this team is lacking in identity right now in the WNBA and they don't have a true direction. It looks like they're rebuilding from the impression that I'm getting. And they're trying to see what they have so far. They're trying to see who's going to stick around and who isn't going to stick around and who has the potential to become the franchise player, essentially. 
I think that Kaiser has that potential, but they have to give her more playing time to see what she can do because she is a phenomenal three-point shooter from what we saw coming out of college. So I think there's a lot of interesting factors to say the least, but they need to find a way to turn it around and improve on some of their weaknesses so far, especially shooting efficiently from the field and from three, turning over the ball less, and just trying to get the victories. They were really close in defeating the New York Liberty. They could be 2-0 and right now if Sabrina had not hit that game-winning three in the first game, and they had a chance to win the second game, too, against the Liberty. So I think the Fever have to turn their rounds. I mean, Ryan, the thing with the, the fever is like, okay, first of all, we predicted it just as, you know, as it is. We put we picked them 12th in our preseason rankings. Well, look where they are, right there in last place like we anticipated. Um, And it was because there were so many question marks. Now, Tierra McCowan at center has given some promising flashes, Um, very active on the boards, and I think that she's a player to look forward uh, to watching all season. Kelsey Mitchell, Tiffany Mitchell, both players that have had – a couple of solid outings in these three games so um so far. I think that there are two players that are going to be kind of interesting to watch moving forward. Danielle Robinson, I would argue, is probably their best player right now outside of maybe McCowan, who, who has shown a significant amount of talent as maybe a lead player on this team. But, Ryan, I think your lead point is probably the most important point. And I've been harping this in terms of my blog for like the last couple of days. Um, when it comes to the fever, Kaiser Godrasek, I don't understand why she's not really getting that many minutes. Um, in this most recent game against Connecticut, she did get 16 minutes, which was like a season high for her so far. Um, she had only played 10 minutes and I believe like 12 minutes in the two prior games. Personally, it's one of those circumstances where I'm not really understanding what the what the coddling is for. She was taken in the top five a pick that nobody anticipated. Everybody anticipated a Dana Evans or an Ari McDonald at the guard position, and they took Kaiser Godrasek as a flyer mile, something that everybody kind of felt that Indiana was going to have to try to prove some people wrong for by, by putting her in a position to be able to ball out early. I understand that there's been no training camp. Like I'm very understanding of that. And Ryan, maybe we can have, maybe we should have that deeper conversation about the, the lack of rookie play we can have that now if you want to, but I don't understand what the coddling is for. She was taking number four overall. You don't really have anybody who's really stood out amongst the rest in terms of, you know, their performance on the floor. My dude, I don't, I don't see what the point of not playing her or not playing. I'm not saying play her 35 minutes a game. I mean, Lord, but like, I, I don't like again. I, I'm using the word coddling because other than using the lack of training camp as an excuse, I personally don't understand where this tactic is coming from. Because all you should be wanting to do is figure out what you have in Kaiser. And for some reason, I don't think they're really maximizing the opportunity to really do that. It's not even just Indiana, though. That's the other thing. And I noticed this throughout opening weekend a lot of the top rookies in this in the draft class outside of charlie collier have not been getting a lot of playing time and that's really interesting considering that teams like atlanta and teams like indiana who really need that that rookie development it's a bit 
interesting to see like why they aren't getting as many minutes, especially Arian McDonald, who's one of the one of the top scorers coming out of the, the NCAA last year at Arizona. Now on the Atlanta Dream, we thought that she had the potential to be a star with a backcourt of her and Kennedy Carter. She's not getting a lot of playing time either in Atlanta. And then Jasmine Walker in Los Angeles, it's the same case. Renai Davis is out, so we kind of have to wait and see what she will look like when she returns. Natasha Mack, like I mentioned, she was waived and then she was brought back. She only played in a couple minutes and got two points in their last game in their last game against the Atlanta Dream. So I feel like this isn't a coincidence, but I think that there's there's definitely a reason why all the rookies right now are not getting as much playing time as we think they have. Now, I think the reason could be let the game come to them, but that's still very interesting for a team like Indiana, for a team like Atlanta, for a team like Los Angeles, that we don't really know if they're going to make the playoffs this year. And we kind of want to see how these rookies fit on this team. Yeah, I mean, I I entirely agree. I, and I think, you know, I was going to kind of flow with you in terms of like letting the game come to them because of the fact that also, I mean, we can argue that maybe half the league is in championship contention for real this year with the way that everybody is upgraded. But even with that being the case, Ryan, the Dallas Wings are a, a full-blown rebuilding team. Why is Chelsea Dungy and Dana Evans playing four minutes combined in the game against the Sparks when they won by 23 and almost scored 100 points, which is like they're 94 points in that game against the Sparks. I think is the largest point total so far of the WNBA season in terms of points scored. I think 94 actually leads the leads the league in a single game and league single game score so far like. But, I mean, outside of that, I mean, you can argue the Liberty looks serious. The Sun looks serious. Chicago with Candace Parker on the floor, they look like they can really do damage. That's in the Eastern Conference. And then in the West, the Mercury, the Storm, and the Aces all are a problem. So I think maybe there's an argument that maybe there's a circumstance that because half the league is in win-now mode, that that's why we're not seeing a lot of rookie play. But again, think about some of the teams that you named with the Sparks, for example. The circumstance with the Sparks is very odd to me. Again, now it's kind of weird because we're talking about one game for the Sparks. So it's kind of, it's not really the best sample sizing for them. But I don't see a circumstance where that makes sense for them to not really, you know, run their run their chances with Jasmine Walker. I mean, even Taya Cooper only played 17 minutes in that game. And she's a player that I feel like needs to significantly develop. She's a player that I think averaged about nine points per game last season. And I think she's somebody who, if they really build her up, can be one of the better six women in the league. I, as, a, as a significant ball handler that I can also get her own buckets. I think Jasmine Walker's versatility is something that could really benefit the Sparks. Like I said before with the Wings, I don't understand why Chelsea Dungy and Dana Evans only got two minutes apiece in a game where they won by 23 points. It just doesn't logically make very much sense to me. Um, I, I even think, I think the point you made about the Atlanta Dream 
is huge. I thought Ari McDonald plus Kennedy Carter equal GGs. Like, I'm not saying they were about to be out here catching bodies or anything, but I definitely thought that that was going to make them extremely much more competitive. And so for Ari to not be really getting that much burn, I mean, 11 minutes in that game against Chicago, I, I don't really know what a, what a player like her who needs the ball in her hands is not going to be able to display what her ability is in 11 minutes like it just doesn't make sense she had 16 minutes in the game against the Connecticut Sun the Connecticut Sun were strapping defensively the entire night she didn't shoot very well from the floor only got one point shot one of two I think from the free throw line and that was pretty much how she racked that up but she she played the third lowest minutes of anybody for the dream that night doesn't really make sense to me at all like you know what I mean it's a Connecticut Sun team that obviously had you outmatched and outside of Kennedy Carter and uh and Tiana Hawkins, I don't, I mean, I don't see anybody who's really established themselves as a, as a third player or as a third reliable option. Odyssey Sims is somebody who I think has the potential in that backcourt. I think Courtney Williams is somebody who I think is slowly going to become more of a factor for this team. But I don't think that should have any impact on R. McDonald's minutes this, minutes this early in the season. If anything, this early in the season was would be when I expect most of these rookies to get this kind of burn because of the lack of a training camp. I don't I don't see I don't I don't see what getting them colder through the season does in terms of their ability to then come out and display their talent. So. It's tricky, man. It's it's definitely tricky. But okay, so I have I have a question for you based on the standings. So it's 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 a two-parter. They both have separate connotations. Right now, who is the most? Who is the most? We'll, we'll go, we'll do we'll do three parts actually, because I think it'd be kind of interesting to do it this way. Who is we'll start with this? Who is the most interesting, or who are you? Who is the team you are most impressed with? that is undefeated right now? New York, for sure. There is no team that looks as good right now as New York does, especially considering, like I mentioned, no Natasha Howard. So they're winning three straight games, albeit against the Fever, who were 11th last year, and then the Connecticut Sun, who slipped into the playoffs last year. I mean, we probably have to see them against tougher teams like Chicago and Seattle and Las Vegas. But right now, I think this is a pretty good outing for a team that last year only won two games. And right now they're three and oh, so they already surpassed their win total from last year. So I think that this is going to be very interesting to see if New York really holds up this momentum throughout the season. Yeah, not the copycats. Uh, I'm not going to pick the Liberty, but man, it's kind of hard to see them win three games in in the first week and a half basically of the season and already have a better record than they did last year and not be impressed but like I said beforehand man we had the Connecticut Sun at eighth both of us when we did our preseason power rankings they're the number one team in the WNBA right now we slept on them and I think that that's something that now I feel like now I got to pay very close attention to them um let's move to to a one loss team um, I, we have the Mercury, the Storm, and the Aces. Who out of that group, maybe not are you the most impressive, uh, most impressed by, but who do you believe in the most moving forward after the first three games that you've seen? I'll go with the Mercury for now. I think it's a safe option 
because the Mercury have been consistent in the WNBA. They've won, they've been one of the most consistently strong teams in the WNBA. I think it's really easy to say that the Mercury could be a title contender again, even though we've, we've said that pretty much for the past 10 years, it feels like. <laughs> so Diana Taurasi is still a living legend. She's one of the greatest WNBA players of all time. She still can play. Skylar Diggins-Smith, I thought, was a huge acquisition last year. I think she's definitely proving her worth this year as one of the best shooting guards in the WNBA. Brittany Griner, I knew when when Phoenix got Brittany Griner back, I thought that was going to be a huge addition to an already loaded lineup. And I think she makes this team better with her defensive presence down low. It's very interesting to see that the Mercury are 2-1 and one right now, but considering that they almost lost to Minnesota in the first game of the season, if it wasn't for Diana Taurasi hitting a buzzer beating three for the win. I think it's just going to be interesting to see how they fare for the rest of the season. Considering that, like I said, this is a team that their floor is top five. Their ceiling is top two, but they're always in the conversation for championship runner up. Yeah, I mean, I think Phoenix is definitely in the mix, and it's it feels weird to pick against the champion, the, the reigning champions in the storm, but I got to go with the aces on this one, man. I think that the depth that they have is a little surreal, to be honest. I mean, Ryan, we always kind of – when we came into the season, we had a bit of an understanding that the kind of return that they had um, coming back was – out of this world crazy but I mean if you really look at their roster I mean they've got a bench that is just extremely interesting with the fact that they have Kelsey Plum and De'Erica Hamby coming off the bench then you think about the fact that they have Jackie Young in the starting lineup they have Aja Wilson in the starting lineup Chelsea Gray Liz Cambage Raquana Davis like I mean I've even she hasn't got a lot, a lot of burn yet, but I even think Destiny Slocum is a player who I think if they give her the reins, she can be a legit second guard in in a in a bench rotation. She hasn't really gotten the burn yet, but I mean they played against the defending champs as their first two games, so I don't think that the rookie was going to get a lot of you know a lot of minutes in a game that kind of had a little bit of uh, a little bit of fire underneath of it considering considering the circumstances but i think the aces depth their talent down the depth chart is ridiculous and i think that the fact that they're so talented down the down the board is just one of those things where i think that coach uh bill lambeer is really going to have them playing their best basketball and they got some interesting matchups coming up because they've got the sparks later on tonight they've got the connecticut sun and the mercury back to back and then they've got back-to-back games against the indiana fever so this next four game stretch is going to be kind of interesting to see what they decide to do um the last question that i had in terms of it was about the the, the teams that do not have a win yet we have the mystics the fever the sparks and the Lynx, if you had to pick, there's also the Atlanta Dream, so actually five teams. If there was one team that you had the most faith could turn their season around, just based off what you've seen through through, through two to three games, what team do you feel like you would want to bet your hedge your bets on, put some money on? I feel like the safe bet is Minnesota, but I got to go with Washington. Don't panic right now because even though they're 0-2, like I said earlier, Minnesota's 0-3. 
these are two teams that we shouldn't panic on just yet because who knows, they can flip the script, turn it around midseason. Now, I think the big issue for Minnesota, like I said earlier, is closing games. How you improve on that, you try to fix the defense so that you're able to make sure that Diana Taurasi doesn't hit another buzzer-beating shot to close out the game. I think for the Mystics, it's really about how do you get back to championship form, especially with Atlanta Della Don. She hasn't played in almost two years. So how does she get back to form? I think Tina Charles, she's been a nice addition to this team. And especially with her impact so far early on in the season, I think that she could be one of the leading scorers on this team. I think with also my with also uh, Myesha Hines Allen too, she was an X factor last season and had a breakout year and helped lead Washington to the playoffs. And I think the other thing too, I mean, Emma Meesman might not be back till August. So I think that's going to be a huge loss. So how do you fill the role of Emma Meesman, considering that she has been such a great player for this Mystics team throughout her time there? So I just think, again, we shouldn't panic, but there are definitely changes to be made. So, Ryan, unfairly, I'm going to go with the safe cop out. <laughs> um, nothing against the Mystics. I just think that one of the dangerous things about betting on health is uh, that – especially when you don't have a timetable, it kind of makes things a little dangerous moving forward in terms of setting some some kind of expectations. So, um, I mean, Misaman, we have the timetable on her, but August is just so far away. And then in terms of Elena Deladon, because we don't have a very great timetable on her, it's kind of hard to put that kind of faith in her return being significantly impactful on the outcome of this season. Minnesota, I think, is a philosophy thing. I think if they get Renaya Davis in the in the lineup, I think they already have an, uh, an all-star caliber player in Sylvia Fowles, who's been playing out of her mind, by the way. I think they're in a circumstance right now where I genuinely, genuinely believe Crystal Dangerfield has the talent to build upon her rookie of the year season. I think if you look down the depth chart, Ariel Powers has not had a game. She's due for a game. I feel like I think Kayla McBride is a player who hasn't really snapped yet. And I think that she is just trying to pretty much fit within a role next to a bunch of scoring play scoring guards that I think she just needs to take the reins and step above and be that lead guard for this team. I don't think there's any reason to sugarcoat it beyond that. Kayla McBride is that lead guard for them. She needs to play to that level. They have the talent across the board. I just genuinely think that they need to step up to the challenge. Now, they've got a week off, like I said beforehand, to kind of let all of this marinate, uh, let these first three games really sit in their crawl and really break down where things have went wrong so far. I think with this week off, I think they might be the most – I think this week off might make them the most beneficial um, out of any of this group because of the fact that they're a team that I think needs to just work on their philosophy, not their, their talent. Like that, you know, they don't need to worry about trying to acquire more talent or trying to get people to play above their pay grade. They've got all-star caliber players across the roster. We just need consistent performances from the entire group. Transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, which winless team do you believe could turn it around and possibly make the playoffs? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars. 
and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.